3: Good morning, thank you for joining us for another interactive program of African Dialogue. Remember, you're listening to Channel Africa, the gateway to the continent or the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm your host, Benjamin Mushatama, and you're listening to us on the frequency as usual, 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. And if you're listening to us on DSTV, thank you for joining us on the Audio Channel 902. Well, today on the program, we're looking at um, really the issue of Institutional, constitutional, uh, democracy—what does that mean, and what does it represent? That what we're looking at today. We'll be speaking to some guests about what that issue of constitutions and democracy—what it means. But so we've got Jualani Tulo standing by to give us our news. Mm-hmm.
5: Thank you, Benjamin. Making headlines this hour, the Botswana government loses its appeal against providing foreign prison inmates with ARVs. South Sudan's president, Salva Kiir expected to sign a peace deal and power-sharing agreement to end a 20-month civil war. And finally, two doctors without border staff have been killed in South Sudan. Good morning. The Botswana government has lost its appeal against providing foreign prison inmates with ARVs. The appeals court in the capital, Khaburone, has just turned down the appeal. Last year, the High Court ordered the government to provide ARVs to foreigners in the country's prisons. This after non-governmental organization, the Botswana Network on Ethics, Law and HIV AIDS, brought the case to court. Botswana and Mauritius are the only static countries that do not offer foreign inmates ARVs. South Sudan's President Salva Kiir is expected to sign a peace deal and power sharing agreement today to end a 20-month civil war. East African regional leaders are meeting in the country's capital Juba for the signing of the agreement. Kiir refused to sign the agreement last week and asked for at least 15 days for him to consult with his faction. Rebel leader Riek Machar signed the deal last Monday as per the set deadline. Sarah Kimani reports. The agreement commits both sides to implementing a permanent ceasefire within 72 hours of signing the deal. The accord gives Raboz the post of first vice president, which means that Machar would likely return to the post he was sacked from in July 2013, six months before the war began. The agreement also calls for a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to be established and a war crimes court in collaboration with the African Union. The United States has presented a draft resolution to the United Nations Security Council that would impose an arms embargo and targeted sanctions on South Sudan if Kir fails to sign the accord. Two Doctors Without Borders staff have been killed in South Sudan. The killing takes the number of aid workers killed in the 20-month conflict to over 30. The two men were killed during separate attacks on villages in the northern state of Unity last week. The medical agency confirmed the latest deaths but did not have the exact details about how they were killed. The parents of a Mozambican taxi driver who was killed after being dragged behind a police vehicle in Johannesburg two years ago say the conviction of the eight former South African police officers will not bring their son back. Mido Masiya's parents say they will never find closure. They were speaking in Matola outside Maputo. Tandugu Kanyam, Kacho reports mido Masia's mother janet Masia, shared her feelings saying that her son was the breadwinner of the family she says that not even the conviction of his murders will stop the pain she is feeling she says nothing will bring mido's life again mido's father joseph Masia also says he will forever live with a broken heart the family awaits for the sentencing next month and finally, relatives of more than two hundred Nigerian schoolgirls kidnapped by Boko Haram will hold a youth march and a candlelit vigil on Thursday to mark five hundred days since the abductions. Boko Haram fighters stormed the government secondary school in the remote town of Chibok in April last year, seizing 276 girls. Fifty-seven escaped, but nothing has been heard of the remaining two hundred and nineteen since May last year. Boko Haram's leader Abu Bakashakao has since said the girls have all converted to Islam and been married off. The mass abduction sparked international outcry and prompted a viral social media Bring Back Our Girls campaign demanding their release. Recapping the top stories this hour, the Botswana government loses its appeal against providing foreign prison inmates with ARVs. South Sudan's president, Salva Kiir expected to sign a peace deal and power-sharing agreement to end a 20-month civil war. And finally, two Doctors Without Borders staff have been killed in South Sudan. Well, that's all from me for today. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo.
3: Thank you to Joelani Tulo for that news update. Thank you for joining us here on our program, African Dialogue. My my name is Benjamin Mushatama. Remember that if you're listening to us online as well, you are listening to us on www.channelafrica.co.za. Hey, if you find yourself away from the DSTV facility or also away from your radio set, remember that you can listen to us online. We've got a live streaming facility on our website. That's uh, www.channelafrica.co.za. Now, today we're looking at a very interesting topic, especially on the continent of Africa, which is the issue of democracy and uh, constitutions. So the School of Public Leadership in Stellenbosch University, in cooperation with the Institute of Studies on uh, Federalism and Regionalism of the European Academy and the Center for Constitutional Rights, recently held a three-day conference on strengthening constitutional democracy with a specific focus on provincial and local government. The conference was held in Cape Town, South Africa. Now, it was aimed at really creating an interaction between academics and professionals with a view to contribute on finding solutions to some of the practical rather problems societies and multi-sphere systems of government face. So we'll be looking at that issue of what does democracy mean in modern life and also the role of constitutions in our democracies today. So on the line we have uh, Professor Erwin Schweller who is joining us uh, and uh, he's a professor of uh, public leadership as well as Dr. Dirk uh, Brand who is a senior lecturer at the University of Stellenbosch we also have Ms. Pepela Dube, who is a legal officer for the Foundation Centre for Constitutional Rights. So we'll be speaking to them really about this particular issue of what do constitutions mean, what does democracy mean in modern society, especially looking at some of the challenges we're facing here on the continent. Let's start with you, Professor Erwin. Uh, am I saying your surname right there, uh, Professor Earn?
2: It's very good.
1: You're, you're doing it
3: quite well. Thanks. Fantastic. I have to make sure because I'm going to be interacting with you, with you for a while now, so I don't want to get that wrong. But let's let's start with this particular issue of what do we mean when we speak about constitutional democracy? Is it one layered? Is it one meaning? Is it as Western as we think it is?
1: Constitutional democracy is uh, a a concept which says that it links constitutions with democracy. Now, there are many definitions of democracy. Not all of them are as inclusive, and uh, all of them are not necessarily linked to the, uh, shall we say, the control of powerful players, whereas in most cases, uh, when we talk about constitutional democracy, and specifically when these constitutions uh, relate to the ideas of Constitutionality and constitutionalism, it actually means that it is very particularly relevant for the African continent. Hmm. Uh, constitutionalism and constitutional democracy, therefore, says that we need sets of uh, rules that control power uh, hmm. so that power are not used in an unmitigated, uh, unthoughtful, and uh, a way which sort of. Uh, you know, destroys the rights of citizens. South Africa is a constitutional democracy because we suffered from a system where we had the supremacy of parliament, and in parliament there was a minority party ruling over the majority. Hmm. And that is exactly why one needs a constitution which says that we will have the rule of law, we will have the separation of powers, we will have checks and balances, we will have accountability. In any situation where we as citizens are are individuals or even uh, as part of our family or or, or clans or or, or whatever other affiliations, we are in some ways in a difficult power situation related to strong leadership, strong governments, strong autocratic Mm. governments. And constitutional democracy provides us with those safeguards to make sure that in that power relationship, We are not delivered to autocrats and despots. Mm. So um, um, that is very important in um, all societies, but also in African societies.
3: Well, let me move on to Dr. Dirk Brandt. Is it Brandt or Brandt? Because I have to make sure. Because we live in South Africa. You say it in different ways. Dr. Brandt, is that right? Brandt is fine. Thank you. (laughs) Fantastic. Dr. Dirk Brandt, I'm going to try... uh, Carry on with you there, but I know that your line is a bit soft there. But in terms of uh, the value system of what is constitutional, what are the weighing factors? How do you measure constitutionalism?
2: Well, one would start with the uh, text of a constitution in a country and make sure that it contains basic values that are universal, um, that you recognize universally accepted human rights, and ensure that it's described in a way that protects citizens from the abuse of power from the state, but also places a duty on the state to protect these rights and promote these rights. Um, But constitutionalism is not only about individual rights, it's also about the institutional architecture in a country, to make sure that the institutions that you create um, are structured in a way that it supports constitutional democracy, that it strengthens the rule of law, um, and adheres to the principle of supremacy of the Constitution.
3: Mm-hmm. Now, let me introduce uh, Ms. Pepelapi Dube from uh, the uh, Center for Constitutional Rights. In terms of uh, that particular aspect of things, uh, Is the whole thing of constitutional democracy infringed on the human rights foundations? Uh, Is that the center of where constitutionalism comes from? Because it seems like that's the idea I'm getting from Professor Schweller and Dr. Brandt.
6: Yes, absolutely. Just in a nutshell, it just means that the government derives its power from the constitution So it means that everything that the state does has to be in line with the Constitution. So all the powers, everything that, all decisions that are made by the state have to come from the Constitution. And any actions which fall outside of the Constitution would obviously be unconstitutional.
3: Hmm. Now, I'm going to take a quick break because I think that we've actually introduced this uh, particular definition of what constitutional democracy means. But also, there's been a lot of... uh Ideas that have been thrown in, especially on the continent, when it comes to how long a president can be, how many terms you can be president for. I know that this is a big conversation that's happening on the continent right now. And also, do we have African models of uh, constitutionalism, maybe that come from traditional forms of uh, governance? That's something I'm also interested in because there's a lot of conversations saying, hey, we've adopted uh, very much uh, uh, systems that are very Western uh, and uh, maybe they are very alien to the way that uh, Africans originally were governed. So we'll deal with those kind of themes when we come back. Hey. What are your views about uh, constitutions on the continent and democracy on the continent? Do you think that the recent challenges on uh, constitutions uh, by governments have actually weakened our constitutions and our democracy on the continent? Let us know your thoughts. +27796957930. That's our SMS number. We know that you can't call in because we broadcast all over the continent. So we do appreciate your SMSs on +27796 Nine five seven nine three zero. We'll be back after this break. But uh, send us your SMSs in the meanwhile.
7: Hello and listen carefully to the good news I have. On Saturday the 29th of August Channel Africa together with Drakensberg Promotions are bringing you the Muretele Park concert live from South Africa's capital city Pretoria. (music) Under the theme We Are Africa. This year's concert celebrates South Africa's coming of age and includes the wuzu in African music and spans the continent with young and old artists from local star Kaifa Semenya and Lusutu's Budaza to more modern acts like Oliver Mutukuzi and younger acts like award-winning a cappella sensation, The Soil. So there you have it. Join Channel Africa and Drakensberg Promotions for the Sounds of Africa from 1800 to 2000 Central African time on Saturday, the 29th of August. Don't miss the musical event of the year. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
3: You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. This is African Dialogue. Today we're looking at... uh The issue of uh, constitutional democracy, what does it actually mean, especially in modern Africa? Do we need a system such as uh, constitutional democracy or are there other alternatives that we could be looking at either than this particular method? We've got some guests on the line helping us on this particular issue. And uh, just to start this part of the conversation with you, Dr. Dirk Brandt, we know that countries like South Sudan and Burundi are still grappling with constitutional democracy especially other countries as well who are also going through civil strife now how do you actually look at democracy in countries like that where there's still a sense of uh, civil uh, war or civil strife within the the context of the politics there, I'm sure that's where we have a challenge on the continent
2: yeah indeed we do have uh, some challenges on the continent and in any um, conflict Uh, ridden country, it's important that you don't only have a good document, the constitution, but also the commitment of the major role players to make it work. So uh, after a war ended and parties sit down and talk and find ways of governing and and regulating the future, um, they need all to have a, a serious commitment to make it work, to agree to the constitution and to translate that into practice. And I'm not sure if that is happening everywhere uh, where uh, negotiated settlements took place and you have interim agreements, uh, you have maybe a a constitution, but uh, still you find that there's warring factions on the ground and there's not a commitment to um, uh, continued peace in, in such a country.
3: Mm. Professor Ashwella, your views there on uh, that particular aspect of things where we're also grappling with uh, certain agreements just a few days ago on our program, we were looking at South Sudan and uh, where there's still like a a contestation rather of power uh, between two faction parties and... uh, you know, when it comes to dealing with those kind of issues, how do you actually deal with those issues in a constitutional manner and in a democratic way? Because those processes are usually where uh, ordinary citizens are not really involved in the nitty-gritties of those particular agreements.
4: Let's start with the first
1: premise, and that is to say that um, constitutions actually serve to create a balance of power in a country. Mm. So um, it is about the power of the citizen. It's not about the power of the powerful political party or the powerful president. So the first thing is, is that if you are in a situation where you have a choice, whether you want a constitution or constitutionalism or not, I think it's a fairly easy choice. Because if you don't have a constitution which counters the power of the powerful, then you always, as a citizen, have a a desperate situation in terms of being delivered to a, a powerful f- set of forces. Now, the second thing is, is that constitutions then create sets of rights, yes, but also sets of responsibilities. So the rights are the, the, the individual and the human rights, as well as the rights of government to govern. But there are also responsibilities. Governments have to govern responsibly and citizens have to act Uh, in ways which are responsible now taking that together if we look at African tradition then there are many examples of of situations where, in uh, the African tradition Mm. um, people cared for each other Uh, the concept of Ubuntu for example Mm. it was about serving the other it was not about serving yourself so uh, in that way if you look at 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 these particular situations like in South Sudan um, What is probably the problem is even, first of all, there there may not be a proper written constitution which is a part of uh, the consensus in the country. Secondly, if there is, sometimes there are these constitutions, if you look at Zimbabwe, for example, but uh, there is no commitment to uphold the constitution. Mm. Uh, thirdly, you need a competence um, to deal with the Constitution. You need competent citizens. You need competent politicians. You need competent judges. So there's a capacity-building element to constitutions. Um, and in that way, you can take the best of all of the traditions, the African traditions, the, 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 the let's say the, the, the Western traditions, combine them, but then you need a commitment to the Constitution. You need capacity to, to enforce the Constitution. Constitution, And you need the competencies. Uh, if those things are not together, mm. then the citizens will suffer because they are then delivered to the whims and fancies of the powerful. And constitutions contain power. Mm. Um, we know, and I will conclude with that, that Lord Atkins said power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So in that sense, if people have too much power and it's not contained, then the citizen always loses. Mm. And we need that. And there is a solid African tradition uh, for care and for compassion and, 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 and to serve each other rather than to serve the self.
3: Mm. Pepe Lapi, just coming to you in terms of that issue of constitutions and themselves, especially when it comes to uh, the people-centricness of their nature, I'm interested in the issue as you look at a country like Zimbabwe where they've had a a president who's been reigning for a long, long period of time. And also you've seen in that country kind of like a malleability of the constitution itself. You see kind of it being adapted from period to period to period. Are constitutions changeable? Can we adapt them according to the governments that come in and the governments that go out? Are there set rules against that or for that?
6: Well, ideally, I mean, a constitution shouldn't be a document of its time, so it should be a document that regardless of the current um, government that, that, that's in power, it should be a, a document that's still applicable. But however, there may be certain provisions in the constitution which for whatever reason may stop being applicable or may fall away and there may be need to change those provisions. But at the same time, um, for example, if you look at, the South African Constitution. Hmm. So it just so we have the Bill of Rights, for example. So the Bill of Rights um, speaks to your personal freedoms, just the personal freedoms and rights of the everyday person on the street. So when it comes to those kind of provisions, it's a lot harder to change them. So, for example, you would need a 75% majority in Parliament in order to change those kind of provisions. And then um, when it comes to different um, provisions, you know, provisions um, governing, for example, you know, the functioning of provinces or, you know, for example, how often the, um, you know, just how... Provinces and municipalities can govern themselves. So those provisions which have moved away from one's personal rights and freedoms, then in that instance, you need a um, well, you wouldn't need the same seventy-five percent majority. So you do need a constitution that's flexible enough to. to respond to, you know, the different needs that arise, but at mm. the same time, that same constitution needs to be solid enough so that it's not subject to, you know, the whims and the fancies of, of, of any government. The so constitutions need to be above the ideology of whatever government comes in, in, in into power. So the constitution has to be the backbone, or rather, you know, that one objective document that binds a country together. So it means that it needs to be just protected from whatever whims and fancy come with a government that comes into power every five years.
3: Mm. And Dr. Dirk Pepe um, uh, Pepperlap is highlighting a very in important element here that uh, constitutions can be altered and some of the provisions can fall away depending on uh, the space of uh, uh, depending on that particular government at that time and also the needs of that particular population at that particular period in time. But there is a form of supervision. Who is in control of uh, that particular supervision that the Constitution is protected?
2: Well, ultimately the uh, courts are there to protect and uphold the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And in our case, the Constitutional Court is the ultimate protector. But due to the System that we have, that the constitution is supreme. A number of role players um, must support and uphold that principle. All government institutions, um, all the courts, must play their part in making sure that the constitution stays in in that supreme position. Mm. Constitution, by nature, should be designed to um, stand the test of time. Of course, you must be able to adapt and amend it if circumstances change, but it should not be as easily amendable as a normal piece of legislation. And that, therefore, as Pepe Lapi indicated, there are specific um, voting majorities or processes included in our constitution that makes it just that little bit more difficult to amend the constitution, and for good reason. And that is to make sure that the supremacy of the constitution is intact and that um, you Create that security in the country that there is this document that is there for everyone and uh, everyone must be must abide by that
3: hmm. Well, very interesting views here coming from our guests. If you've just joined us today, we're looking at the issue of constitutional democracy and looking at what does it mean, what does it represent, especially in contemporary Africa, where we're also seeing some governance issues that are coming in. Also, there have been challenges recently. Uh, people saying, hey, constitutions can also be challenged in terms of uh, provision of how long a president can be, uh, uh, how many terms uh, a president can serve, and also other dimensions that we We've seen in South Africa as a country where some issues within the constitution have been challenged. So we want to hear your thoughts. Hey, do you think that uh, Africans in themselves understand their own constitutions? Do you think that uh, we have strong constitutions in our varying countries on the continent? Let us know your thoughts. SMS us plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero is the number. That's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero on the line. We've got great uh, guests joining us for the program today. I've got Professor Erwin Schweller, who is the Professor of uh, Public Leadership at the School of Public Leadership in Stellenbosch University. We also have Dr. Dirk Brandt, who is the Senior Lecturer at the University of Stellenbosch. Uh, Pepe Lapidoube also joins us as a legal officer for the foundation, uh, which is the Center for uh, Constitutional Rights. That's the Center for Constitutional Rights. The time right now is almost 28 minutes past 11 o'clock. Let's quickly take a quick break, and then we'll come back and and continue this
7: great conversation welcome to africa, get to know channel africa
5: and all the people who bring news views and great african
0: entertainment
7: you can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio bouquet Channel
0: 902. Channel Africa,
8: the voice of the African Renaissance.
3: You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. You are listening to African Dialogue. Remember, if you're listening to us on DSTV, it's on Channel 902. Thank you for joining us as well. If you're listening to us uh, on our shortwave service, that's our main service into the rest of the continent. That's the frequency, 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter uh, band to southern Africa. Thank you as well if you're listening to us uh, via our Internet streaming. That's www.channelafrica.com. Africa.co.za today we're speaking about constitutional democracy its meaning more of an educational and informative program today looking at these particular issues now we have a few guests helping us on this particular uh, subject of today and uh, I think one of our guests left us so I need to confirm who I have on the line do I still have Dr. Dirk brunt with us
4: yes I'm still here
3: fantastic Peppa Lapidube are you with us
4: Yes, I'm still there. Fantastic.
3: I think we had to let go of Professor Erwin Schweller there. I'm still there. Oh, you're still there. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. I just thought we'd lost you there for a moment. But uh, fantastic. We'll all have three of you on the line there. But let's look at the situation of uh, what actually is necessitates uh, a reform of a constitution because I think that's where there's a dangerous space in Africa where people are questioning their constitutions. Now, starting with you, Professor Owen Schweller, we know some people have been speaking about land reform and speaking about we need some changes in South Africa for uh, a sense of land reform. And people are saying, well, the constitution actually provides a provision where some land acquisitions are protected by the constitution themselves. But, you know, in that complex situation where we have a history of colonization on the continent and people are starting to question whose land belongs to who, and there's a big hoo-ha in South Africa and I'm sure in other African countries about the land reform issue, Uh, how do you actually reform the constitution itself to fulfill some issues of reparation, for instance?
4: Uh,
1: yes, uh, thanks, Benjamin. I would just like to go back slightly to some of the other uh, constitutional uh, uh, issues that you raised.
3: Oh, go ahead. And go specifically, ahead. Specifically,
1: and then I'll get back to the land so, uh, so. issue, specifically around the uh, the, the terms um, and the and the, the tenure of, of of political leaders and specifically uh, presidents. Yeah. Um, it is interesting that um, th- there is a correlation, a very interesting correlation. Um, that one can get from research and and is supported by empirical evidence, that uh, especially in those countries where presidents uh, unilaterally and arbitrarily uh, extend their terms of office, those countries um, are the countries that are actually worst off economically. Uh, We can prove that. We can go and find the statistics and the data on that. So the longer the president uh, extends his and it's mostly, in this case, his, it's not hers, power. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for highlighting
3: uh, uh, I was just saying thank you for highlighting that fact, Professor Schwell, especially on Women's Month.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We've got statistical and probabilistic proof that in Mm. those countries where that happens, things go worse, Mm. which gives us an indication, once again, of the fact that arbitrary power, um, discretionary power without control, uh, results in bad governance and eventually in the 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 deterioration of the material conditions of citizens uh, for that we have um, solid proof and uh, you can just also look at case based examples mm. um, if you want however back to the land the land issue now of course uh, one of the things that constitutions strive strives to do is to create some form of stability some form of predictability so that there is not too much arbitrariness in, in the system. So therefore, uh, for example, if, if people want to invest in land, then there's got to be uh, some form of legal rules enshrined or at least uh, dealt with in the Constitution so that it doesn't become something where, once again, the powerful dictates and there is no recourse to any other check or balance. Now, in the case of land in South Africa, there is a definite uh, distribution problem. Um, Through the history of colonialism, Mm. um, the settlement patterns are such that uh, uh, there needs to be reform. But now remember also, Benjamin, it's important that that reform has to be done constitutionally in order to sustain the predictability and the sustainability of the system. That doesn't mean that you cannot change things. It means that you have to have changes which are properly planned, properly implemented, and properly institutionalized. So therefore, over and above having a constitution which caters to deal with the power aspects and and the aspects of of arbitrariness, you also need a good department of land reform or a good department of agriculture Mm. or a good uh, provincial system of, of, of land control. Now, in South Africa... We have in the Constitution a provision that we, that we actually can use to to uh, redistribute land, first of all, not only based upon the, uh, uh, the willing seller, willing da- buyer principle. That is, is currently the, the, the one applied, mm, but mm. those changes can come. We need that redistribution, but we don't want it in a chaotic and disorderly way, which then, finally, if you do it in that way without, without proper planning, proper institutionalization, then you end up in the situation where the news, and I think you might have carried these these, these uh, news reports yourself
4: today, mm, mm.
1: that in a country like Zimbabwe, this year, about 1.5 million people will have no food to eat. Wow. So, so it's always a balance. Constitutions and constitutionalism, the rule of law, the involvement of the courts, the checks and balances, wants to create A balance between all of the competing interests, and that balance must not be judged by the powerful, it must be judged by the Constitution and by the courts.
4: Hmm.
1: So um, it's not unchangeable, but it is combining. The stability with change, is it a sensitive
3: balance that has to be struck? Pepe it it seems very complex what uh, Professor Ashwella is highlighting there, especially when it comes to uh, the Ropers politics that we are starting to see on the continent. I'm sure it's a sense of sensibility on how we deal with those particular changes and these kind of demands that are becoming uh, very prevalent in the public sphere.
6: Um, yes, absolutely. But I think um, just to buttress what um, Prof. Shrela has already said, I mm. mean, you do have a constitution, like, okay, for example, here in South Africa, you know, you have this constitution which provides in Section 25 all, and it both protects existing property rights, but at the same time it talks about land redistribution, it talks about land restitution, it talks about the creation of, of tenure security, right? But um, I think the problem is not... The Constitution itself, but moving beyond the Constitution, how do we implement those constitutional provisions? Because my opinion is that, um, for example, the property clause that's in the Constitution, I think it's, it's a wonderful example of this delicate balance of just trying to meet all these competing interests. But I think the problem is how exactly does the state go about creating these programs that are going to meet these constitutional obligations? I think that that's where the problem lies. So I think there are just a lot of un, uh, uh, unmet expectations, but these expectations, these unmet expectations are not the fault of the Constitution. It's more the manner in which the state has gone about trying to implement these constitutional provisions.
3: Mm. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I think the constitutional seems to be about who has access, who has access to resources, who has access to the information of that particular constitution itself. And I'm not sure if uh, the knowledge of that constitution really trickles down to those who require that particular constitution the most, which is the poor. Dr. Dirk Brandt, your views on that particular aspect about the fact that not everyone has that particular access to that constitution in terms of uh, it being implemented. Just some of the examples people Lapu was just bring here, but this has to do with land and, you know, that implementation process. But moving from uh, from the judiciary and the court systems and labor laws and issues like that, do you think that the poor might not have full access to that constitution because of the resources and the knowledge that they have?
2: Well, uh, the, a constitution is per definition a legal document and must be properly drafted. But that doesn't mean that it is not uh, accessible to the ordinary man in the street.
3: I'm just saying the benefits of it as yeah. well. Yeah.
2: I, I think we're failing in educating the general public about the contents of the constitution and what does it mean to use the constitution to your benefit, if it's about human rights or the way your municipality or your provincial government governs and and functions, um, we can do a lot more to educate ordinary citizens Mm. about the meaning of the constitution and how you access it uh, when you want to go to a court or simply when you want to access government services.
4: Mm.
2: Remember Mm. when the constitution was drafted, there was a huge exercise involving the public uh, in the development of the constitution in the middle 90s um, in South Africa, and also uh, translating the essence of the Constitution in very simple language in all the languages at the time. Now that was a once-off exercise and I think uh, a lot more can be done of that nature even in schools to educate people about the value and the importance of the Constitution. Mm.
3: Uh, Professor Owen Schweller, your views there on that access issue of the Constitution, especially from a low ground, grassroots level, uh, people accessing it, not just from a document, the paper itself, but its functions, its uh, its power, actually, its uh, ability to actually protect you as a human being.
1: Well, there, there are many examples, but let's let, let's just start with a more generalized proposition. Mm. Uh, I think there's probably only one thing worse than not having continuous, direct um, access to the constitutional provisions to protect you from power abuses. And the only one thing worse is not having a constitution. Okay. So, so having a constitution is infinitely better. They're not having one, mm. um, and, and, and not having proper access, because uh, not having a constitution means you have no access whatsoever. Mm. You may now have deficient access. Now, if you did have deficient access, the next step is, to ha- is of course, how do you improve the access? First of all, we need to look at the proposition that there is deficient access, and of course, it is, uh, in some ways, like any resource, uh, it is it is It is finite. It, well, it's not completely finite, but it it might be delimited in terms of what your what your financial abilities are, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. However, we should also just uh, challenge the proposition. We have many examples of case law, of of, of people, um, poor people, uh, people without power. Uh, the Plum case, for example, who actually made it to constitutional court, right through all of the system of courts, and got a ruling. Which is that the the state shall provide housing uh, in a particular way. Mm. So, so, so I think sometimes you know when people want to make political points in terms of serving their own immediate political needs, they easily argue, "Yeah, well, actually, we don't have access." But we have so many examples of 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 cases and case law and and where people actually made it to constitutional court and the constitutional court gave them their rights. Uh, However, having said all of that, that doesn't mean that we've got a perfect system. Mm. We can work very hard on that. We can improve access by creating funding. The government, rather than spending money on a wasted uh, um, things such as, you know, uh, um, luxury housing, mm. uh, could, for example, create a legal aid fund. Um, uh, my colleague, Dr. Brandt, referred to the fact that we, we could have uh, um, uh, more education in this regard. We also have now a number of law clinics at all of the universities where you get access. So in that order, first of all, the fact that there's not proper access doesn't mean that that has to be the case. Secondly, we should challenge the proposition that not proper access doesn't mean that there's access at all because we've seen many cases of people who are very powerless and poor who have made it to the Constitutional Court. And thirdly... The worst thing we can have is have no constitution, then we will have absolutely no access.
3: Mm. Now, let me let you have uh, the final say, Pepe Lapi, in terms of the issue of access, especially when it comes to uh, who has... Uh more of a a weight onto this particular constitution itself. We've seen like certain movement of delivery, protests, not just in South Africa but all over the continent people demanding more from their particular governments. In terms of that particular excess because it does allow that particular move for people to actually have a a liberal form of a way of expressing their disgruntlements towards governments and issues like that. And just taking it to The end of this particular conversation Do you think that uh, As highlighted by our two other guests That hey, the poor do have uh, Their constitutions protecting them And their particular human rights Um, Yes,
6: absolutely And I think it's also important to remember That at least within the South African context, you have a number of bodies, for example, the Chapter 9 institutions. So it's not always about going to court. It's not always about hiring an expensive advocate to go and um, claim your rights on your behalf. You do have a number of other bodies. You know, you've got the South African Human Rights Commission, you've got the public protector, Mm -hmm. and these are constitutional bodies which are mandated to actually investigate any abuses of of, of human rights or any abuses of, governmental power and um, I also think we need to bear in mind that the South African Constitutional Court and I think this creates a great precedent for other countries in Africa has time and again said that it's very important to have public participation yeah. when the state is going to or when Parliament is going to pass any laws mm. and time and again the Constitutional Court has actually referred to back laws which haven't been, um, where where there's been insufficient public participation. And I think just last week we saw the uh, the case playing out in the uh, the northwest province here in South Africa in the Baxatla community Mm. where basically the constitutional court said that there had been insufficient public participation by traditional leaders and that traditional laws weren't just about governing above the people Mm. but that traditional leaders had a a role to play in terms of garnering what the ordinary person within their jurisdiction feels about certain laws. So again, it's just the constitutional court highlighting the fact that the public has to be involved in laws which are ultimately going to come back and affect their lives. So I think it's just important to bear in mind that it's not always about um, going to court and hiring expensive lawyers. I think there are other avenues which also need to be explored.
3: Mm. Well, that's a good way to wrap it up. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to uh, Pepe Dube, the last voice that we had, the legal officer for the Centre for Constitutional Rights, for joining us on our program. Thank you to both of uh, our experts from uh, the uh, University of Stellenbosch, Professor Erwin Schweller, and thank you to Dr. Dirk Brandt for giving us your views on this very interesting topic on constitutional democracy. Thank you all for joining us on our program. Thank
1: Thank Thank you, Benjamin.
3: Fantastic. What a great conversation we had to you. Hey, do you think... Do you think that, uh, hey, we respect our constitutions on the continent? Let us know your thoughts. Plus 27796957930. Way into the conversation. Want to hear your voice. Plus 27796957930. Hey, we've got a Sundar standing by to give us our business news.
8: Good morning still. South Africa has been ranked second in an index for its excellent access to and usage of affordable financial services. That's according to 2015 Brookings Financial and Digital Inclusion Project report and scorecard. It evaluated 21 countries. South Africa earned 80% and is ranked number 12 for country commitment. It is number one for mobile capacity and number 17 for its regulatory environment and number three for adoption. South Africa has also received the highest score for formal account penetration, including among rural, low-income and female groups. Statistics South Africa says the shortage of electricity has largely contributed to the shrinking of the economy in the last quarter. Stats SA on Tuesday announced the economy had contracted by 1.3%. Major sectors including agriculture, mining, manufacturing and energy did not grow. Stats SA says unless interrupted energy supply is guaranteed... The manufacturing sector will remain under pressure. Senior lecturer at Vets University, Lumki Lemonde, says regional integration could be the solution to some of the problems.
9: In the National Development Plan, we're talking about a regional integration, particularly around
1: our energy sources. There is an argument that you can source some of our liquid fuels, I'm talking about uh, petrol, paraffin and, and other things that come out of oil.
9: Angola, we know that could potentially be one of the richest areas. We know that on gas, Mozambique and Tanzania will end to work together as a region and strategize.
8: Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe delivered his State of the Nation address on Tuesday. He indicated the country was on an economic recovery despite challenges with the labor laws that saw thousands losing jobs recently. Mugabe said the country had amended the labor laws and planned to implement a 10-point strategy to revamp the country's economy. The 91-year-old statesman was booed and heckled by opposition lawmakers as he gave his State of the Nation address. Simon Muchemwa reports from Harare
0: in his tuesday state of the nation address zimbabwean president robert mugabe said the country's economy is slowly recovering according to the 91 year old leader mining and agriculture were the major forces driving the economic recovery however the remarks by mugabe comes amid concerns the country was sliding backwards due to a constitutional crisis coupled with job losses in the past month a supreme court ruling Giving the employers powers to terminate contracts without benefits sparked the job losses. To date, nearly 30,000 jobs have been lost and companies closed.
8: Back to South Africa, the RAND has extended its recovery early Wednesday along with fellow emerging markets after Chinese authorities cut interest rates to support its wavering economy. South Africa's economy contracted by 1.3% for the first time in more than a year, with mining and manufacturing sectors particularly feeling the pinch of local constraints and soft demand in the global economy. While the move by China's central bank to cut interest rates for the second time in two months supported the RAND, Analysts say underlying weaknesses in the economy would continue to strain the currency. Let's take a look at the financial indicators. The U.S. dollar is trading at 13.11, South African rand, 10.03, Botswana Pula, and 8.33 to the Zambian kwacha. It's at 0.63 to the British pound and 0.86 to the euro. Looking at the commodities, gold is trading at $1,136, platinum at $974 an ounce, and the price of Brent crude oil is at $43.23 a barrel. For Channel Africa Economics, I'm Asanda Matzaunyan.
3: Hey, our man Fig Zozo is in the building to give us our sports news. That's Figile Linguati.
0: In our sports update, this hour starting off with football news banyana banyana head coach vera Pau has named a squad of 22 players for the upcoming 2015 all africa games which will take place in brazzaville congo from the 3rd to the 18th of september Pow has kept the bulk of the squad that has done duty for south africa in the last few matches two players will not travel to congo as banyana banyana is only allowed 20 players for the tournament Pow was not able to get some of the players she wanted All the overseas-based players have been left out because the tournament comes outside the FIFA calendar. The South Africans opened their encounter against Cameroon on the 7th of September at the Stade del Unit 3. And the Tanzania Football Federation has confirmed that the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations qualifier between the Taifa Stars and the Super Eagles of Nigeria will take place at the National Stadium Dar es Salaam on the 5th of September. TFF President Jamal Malins says the national stadium has natural grass and that the match will kick off at 4.30 p.m. Central African time. Nigeria Super Eagles share joint top place with the Pharaohs of Egypt in Group G of the qualifying series, having beaten Chad 2-0 in Kaduna in June's match day one. But the North Africans have one goal advantage, having beaten the Taifa Stars 3-0 the same weekend. And the South African Democratic Teachers' Union, SADTU, will host close to 1,000 teachers from the SADC region to participate in the fourth Southern African Teachers' Organization, (SATO) Games, to be held in Durban. The games will be held from the 28th to the 30th of August. This three-day event will see members of these unions competing in soccer, netball, volleyball, table tennis, lawn tennis, basketball, darts, and athletics. Satu Media Officer Nomusa Tchembi sheds more light on the games.
9: Such games are games that are held amongst unions, teacher unions that are in the Southern African region countries, including Namibia, Tanzania, Zambia. In Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and Switzerland. Africa. The best year's games are going to be held in South Africa, so uh, the South African Democratic Teachers Union, the biggest teacher union in the country, will be hosting all these countries.
0: Tembe explains the aim of the upcoming Sato Games.
9: Uh, the aim of these games is just to 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 to, to bring unity and. Uh, amongst teachers in the region and to strengthen, uh, you know, ties, you know, as teachers in the profession. And uh, this has come at the best time because we know uh, in South Africa we've had uh, incidents of xenophobia and we just uh, hope that from these games, these games will show that uh, we are anti-xenophobic and we want to build and bring more unity among teachers and among everyone in the continent
0: south africans anasu jobodwana and agani simbini are set to compete in the men's 200 meter semifinals at the world athletics championships in beijing in china today and that's your sport news this hour
3: That's how we call it a wrap. Thank you for joining us here on uh, Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue. Remember, we've got an African Dialogue Twitter handle. That's called at African Dialogue. That's the Twitter handle at African Dialogue. Or you can find our Channel Africa handle on Twitter at Channel Africa 1. Don't forget to visit our website. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. But hey, today we want to hear from you. Do you think that African governments are doing enough to strengthen their constitutional democracy? Plus 27796957930. That's our SMS number, 27 7930 We want to hear from you. And that's how we wrap it up. Tomorrow we're going to be looking at another interesting story. South Africa has been uh, really celebrating Women's Month. And uh, tomorrow we're going to be looking at uh, Women in Science. A very interesting uh, topic there. Women in Science. Do we have enough Women in Science? Are Women in Science recognized? So those are the themes that we'll be looking at tomorrow in our program. But until then, God bless. back.